This is Ecosystem North, Episode 8, Chris Shad, Destination Medical Center. Welcome to Ecosystem North. I'm Jamie Sonsbach. Each week, Ecosystem North shines a spotlight on the people and organizations that support our region's entrepreneurs, uncovering the real story of what inspires and drives them to be entrepreneurial champions. Our next guest is both an entrepreneur and an ecosystem builder in the Rochester area. He's been the driving force in defining and building the Discovery Square subdistrict right here in Rochester under Destination Medical Center. And if that wasn't enough, launched his own business, the Bee Shed, which is a uh, public benefit corporation here in Minnesota. And has personally, I can say, has really created some amazing products. And uh, the fact that uh, his honey is on our table quite a bit uh, during supper time. Uh, really speaks to the quality of, of a company he's created here in Rochester. So it's my extreme pleasure to inter- introduce Chris Shad, Director of Business Development for Discovery Square and founder of The Bee Shed. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, so we like to start just with a little bit about your background. We're always mm-hmm. curious of how people get to where they are now. So uh, could you give us a little bit of a background of where you grew up and uh, what f- first brought you to the region? Sure. Um, so I was born in Stillwater. I grew up in Stillwater, 90 miles away, up on the on the banks of the St. Croix River. Uh, typical childhood, you know, doing whatever you did in the 60s and 70s, uh, getting into trouble uh, with my four siblings and everybody in the neighborhood. It was a lot of fun. I uh, graduated from Stillwater High School, went to Eau Claire University, got my degree from, in biology from University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire after a side stint over in Stevens Point. Um, so I crammed five years of college into four or something like that. Um, and came down to Mayo Clinic in 1986 for, for my first job. I have a degree in biology. And um, I started working in labs at Mayo Clinic doing genetics stuff. I was in the cytogenetics laboratory counting chromosomes. Uh, and I worked my way through a variety of jobs at Mayo, uh, laboratory-based uh, jobs uh, over the years. And then transitioned into some other more uh, business analysis, process analysis, kinds of jobs, systems integrations work. Um, uh, ultimately found myself in the Center for Individualized Medicine, which was focused on genomic medicine and taking the genome sequencing technology and moving it into the clinical workspace. Along the way, I picked up a, a business degree, started doing a little bit of business development work in SIM, the Center for Individualized Medicine, which got me interested in the business development world. So the intersection of science and business, which is what uh, led me to the role that I'm in now with DMC. Raised my family here in Rochester, two kids, they're grown, they're out of the nest, they're doing their own thing. And uh, so this time of COVID has been a little bit different for our family than others because it's just my wife and I and an empty nest and, uh, uh, but that's okay, we're ready for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite there yet, but uh, every day yeah. it seems to creep closer for me, for sure. <laughs> yeah, every day. Um, so you said it was that sort of connection with maybe things you were doing in the Center for Indiv- Individualized Medicine, working on what, you know, we always called uh, internally at Mayo, you know, sort of bench to bedside, getting that, right. getting right. all of this great R&D, this uh, amazing products Mm-hmm. really that can come out of this R&D. So is that really what got you really, really interested in sort of um, entrepreneurship? Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, it was. That was that was kind of the spark in the Center for Individualized Medicine in SIM. Uh, there was so much work to be done to translate out of the research environment into the clinical environment that partnerships and collaborations with industry partners um, was absolutely necessary. And it became uh, a daily conversation in the leadership team of SIM about who are we partnering with? When do we partner with them? Who's the right partner? And, and I had an opportunity to participate in most of those conversations, uh, especially in the early days. And so that's, that was that right at that boundary of research, clinical care and business and industry um, that I found so fascinating. And that was around the time that I was working on my MBA. And um, so that, that was intriguing to me, interesting to me. And um, it was something I thought, well, I think that's where I'd like to do something next if I could figure out a way to do that. Yeah. No, I've, uh, I've always uh, admired the work that Sim has done. And, and it's mm-hmm. been, it's amazing how many people I know that have gone on to do more business focused stuff uh, that have been in Sim uh, right. at one point or another during their careers. So I think that's right. a real, real hatching space for probably what's evolving into a, a modern, more modern strategy for Mayo Clinic. So I think that's well, in, including their current CEO, uh, Dr. Ferruja, I had the pleasure of working alongside of him in the early days of uh, SIM. So uh, yeah, it was fun. Well, let's, let's have a bit of a selfish moment here and sure. uh, rewind back to 1999 when I okay. may or may not have been a young young man looking for a job right out of college. Oh yeah, I remember that. (laughs) And uh, I applied for my first uh, position at Mayo Clinic. And amazingly enough, I think you hired me. Yeah, I don't know what the heck I was thinking, but uh, I don't know either. It's uh, it's one of those things that it seemed like a good idea at the time. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Uh, It was a great, it was a great decision. But um, you stuck around for a while, but then you you headed out to Salt Lake City, I think after that, right? but I think, uh, I think definitely, you know, that was my first job out of college yeah. and I learned a lot and yeah. really some massive respect for Mayo and what they're doing. Sure. And the fact that they were so close to North Dakota, I think was, was fantastic. But, yeah. you know, I have to give you all the credit. You like, you started me on this journey and the, oh. that team in molecular genetics. I mean, really, I, I learned, I learned a lot about just what, you know, I had this sort of undergraduate idea. I worked in labs that entire time, but to really take that into an institution like Mayo and learn sometimes painfully, you know, what it was like, um, that transition from research to clinical labs. I did learn a lot. And that, that really helped me uh, when I was in Salt Lake City as well, because I could, I could run a lab, like, because I could borrow heavily from Mm -hmm. the stuff that I learned at Mayo. Um, But yeah, it was a, it was a great time. And Oh, good. Um, yeah. So I have to always thank you for starting me down this path because it's something <laughs> Glad that I could uh, help. Very few people probably know. And it also speaks to the, the smallness of our community, right? We're kind yeah. of a small town in many ways. So it's funny how, you know, relationships kind of start and disappear and then somehow come back in a, in a different form. So I, yeah, always, I, I think... thought that was really impressive about Rochester. In Rochester, it's not six degrees of separation. It's two degrees of separation. Yeah. Everything's a little bit more compressed. So when did you say, okay, well, I'm going to start for all, what I would assume for all intents and purposes is a side hustle in the B-shift. 
You know, I had always wanted to to own my own business. I have no idea where that came from. Uh, my 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 grandfather did for a while, uh, but my mom and dad. My mom was a, is a was a teacher. My dad was a plumber, HVAC guy. Um, so no entrepreneurs in my immediate family. Uh, none of my siblings. Um, well, my once brother in law was for a while. So um, I have no idea where it came from, but I always wanted to own my own business. Um, and so I've got this biology background, an interest in the natural world. Um, I did some prairie restoration. I'm looking out the window. I can see it right now. It's in full bloom. And um, to support pollinators, um, because it's sort of aligned with my outside interests of being a master naturalist. Um, and somebody said, well, you should keep be a beekeeper. So, oh, yeah, that sounds like fun. I'll do that. And uh, before long, I kind of, it was a hobby that kind of got out of control. People were buying honey from me and I thought, well, hey, I wanted to own a business. I'm passionate about this. Uh, let's do that. And I've made so many mistakes along the way. Um, hopefully I've learned from them. Um, I found where to find support. I found where to not find support. Um, I found that uh, the only person, the person most interested in the success of my business is me. And so if it's going to happen, I'm going to have to put my shoulder to the boulder and shove it because nothing else is going to move it. And uh, uh, it's been a fascinating run. Uh, COVID has impacted us, um, but we've taken this time to really make a lot of investment. And I, so there's a lot of lessons I've learned in the last six months that I think might be helpful to others that I talk to about their businesses um, that um, I wish I hadn't had to learn those lessons, but I'm glad I did. Yeah. So do you, do you think uh, your experience running a business has really informed uh, you a little bit more about your current role with Destination Medical Center? Uh, it has and it hasn't in a couple of ways. So uh, for me, it's a side hustle, right? And um, so from that perspective, uh, it's a relatively safe foray into entrepreneurship because I still have my day job. Um, as long as I don't blow this interview here. Um, and, uh, um, so on the one hand, I've learned about running a business and all the paperwork and marketing and, you know, schlepping products to stores and manufacturing and supply chain, all those things that you have to learn that are translatable to others, at least in this particular industry, which happens to be in the food industry. Um, so on the one hand, yes. On the other hand, I didn't jump in with both feet, quit my day job and go full bore, um, you know, million miles an hour with my hair on fire, uh, like some entrepreneurs do. And, um, and the entrepreneurs that I tend to talk to are more in the technology world or the healthcare technology world, which is so not really translatable to the things that I learned. So on the one hand, yes. On the other hand, no. Um, but it maybe gives me a little bit of credibility when I say that, yeah, I've lost a lot of sleep over my business, but uh, maybe not as much as you, but I've lost some sleep over my business. Yeah. I just lose sleep over my nonprofit. So, <laughs> which is still a business. A nonprofit um, is still a business. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we, we, you touched a little bit about your role uh, with Destination Medical Center. Sure. Could you uh, chat a little bit more about that and give the audience really an understanding of, uh, what you currently do in your day job. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I'd love to. So uh, I owe my role in DMC to Patrick Sieb, who's uh, the director of economic development and placemaking for DMC. Um, I saw the uh, saw the announcement that Discovery Square was launching about four years ago, and I had met him briefly through a TED talk that I had given. I doubt he remembered me, but I dropped him a message on Facebook, like, "Yeah, I hear Discovery Square is launching." Um, if you if you need to talk to somebody who knows healthcare technology, has some ties to business, and knows Mayo fairly well, I know a guy. I left them that message. Um, I didn't know then. What I know now is that um, he once in a while checks on Messenger. So it was a few months before I heard from him, but then ultimately I heard back from him. We had a cup of coffee and we had a chance to talk a little bit. And um, somehow I convinced them that I I would be good for this role in Discovery Square, which um, once we settled on the strategies for Discovery Square, it was all about attracting businesses to Rochester, as well as growing businesses out of Rochester using the technology that is sort of uh, native to Rochester or native because of, in many cases, because of Mayo Clinic. So how do we leverage that technology, that innovation to attract businesses here, as well as ultimately to grow those businesses? Uh, I've been in this role for three and a half years. Um, Entrepreneurship in the ecosystem building has always been an important part of the strategy, but we haven't focused on it as much as we are now uh, because we had to prove that we could attract businesses here. So we've, we've spent a decent amount of energy into attracting businesses to Rochester in partnership with Mayo and uh, other organizations. And so now that we've got this baseline of businesses that have moved into Rochester between Boston Scientific and Phillips and Wuji Diagnostics and others, um, we feel like we can intensify our efforts around supporting entrepreneurship. And so I'm putting more of my attention to that in addition to the, what I'll call tenant recruitment sort of activities related to attracting businesses here. It's fascinating work, it's hard work, it's got a long sales channel. Um, uh, it's a big numbers game. You have to talk to a lot of businesses before you find the ones that are the right fit for everybody. Uh, but it's challenging and it's it's been it's been a fun run so far. And I think, you know, when I do a lot of reading about what they call modern economic development, uh, mm -hmm. sort of old school economic development is sort of retain uh, the businesses that are growing in your community as well as attract new businesses. And right. and sort of the the add on now is is supporting entrepreneurs in your oh. community is also you know a third leg of that stool it is, mm -hmm. is super vital and really that's becoming more and more important in yeah. communities across the country ever right. since uh, amazon sort of tried to find its new next headquarters and everybody right. realized the amount of money they spent with that but i think the beauty of rochester is it it really is such an attractant for companies because of Mayo Clinic medical companies uh, yeah. that you can kind of have the best of both worlds right now. You can you can attract some amazing groups like you know companies like Google, you know right. that right. that are are moving into the area. Yep. Um, at the same time, you can be looking at up and coming startups of technology rolling out of Mayo and, yep. and other places, and yeah. so it, it really isn't just focus on one or the other. Again, which many many groups I talk to in different communities are saying, well, we're, we're all in on entrepreneurship now. It's, it's really the best of both worlds. And I think that's the real competitive advantage that Rochester has. Yeah, I would agree. And I think um, 
what's what's interesting and unique about Rochester is that it's it's big enough to do this, but it's small enough that you can kind of wrap your arms around it. Like, you know, it's not a major metropolitan city where you've got all these little silos of activity that are happening and get to, to get from one to the other. It's it's a, it's a decent drive through heavy traffic. Um, it, you know, we talked about this earlier about how it's not too hard to to go a couple of layers before you find somebody that you know in common, right? Those degrees of separation. And so that connectivity leads to collaboration, I think a lot easier. And as a community, it's so interesting in Rochester, you're as likely to have a collaboration, a business collaboration or a scientific collaboration that springs out of a conversation in a grocery aisle, that grocery store aisle, as it is in a, a hallway at Mayo Clinic or downtown Rochester, just because there's this unique density of of people who work in us in this industry uh, in Rochester. And speaking of density, um, yeah. Yeah, I think the real, I would say that us in the Conley Mass building, we mm -hmm. were, we were kind of the crown, the, the, the lightly shining crown jewel for a couple oh, of years. It's yeah. the first real activated building. Absolutely. But then along comes, I think, I'm, I'm a little biased. The, the most beautiful building in Rochester, and, and people can debate me all day long about the Plummer building, but I sure. love One Discovery Square. And that, yeah. that is just, uh, I think, a great first step uh, to creating, I'm all about density and clustering of innovation and ideas. Right. And it has been uh, an amazing, amazing place. Could you talk a little bit for people outside of the Rochester area about One Discovery Square and about where you know, who's in it, where is it, where is it going, and how is it potentially leading up to, to Discovery Square? Sure. Um, so One Discovery Square, it's a new building that was constructed by Mortensen um, right in the heart of the Discovery Square subdistrict. Discovery Square as a subdistrict, it's 16 blocks, so it's a geography. It's a live, work, play environment. There's new residential units that are up, several hundred new residential units that are up, even more that just came online in the last month or so. And there's, there's a couple of restaurants, there's more that are coming. Um, and then there's this new building that's right in the middle of it all called One Discovery Square, constructed by Mortensen. And um, um, it, is, it is right now a jewel in the crown, I guess I is what I would say, because it's the first of, of many buildings. You know, within a couple of blocks, there's something, something north of a million square feet of research space within a couple of blocks of that building. So it's, it's in the heart of this innovation. Uh, area. Yeah, in the building, you've got Cafe Steam, which is a local cafe operator that which sort of adds to the ambiance. You've got University of Minnesota Rochester students that are taking classes there. And when you talk to these students, they are amazing. Um, they're so articulate and they so get the value of being in a building where Mayo Clinic and all these other companies are there. And when you talk to the companies, they so get the, under, the, the value of having the students in the building. Um, but there's Boston Scientific is in the building. Mayo Clinic has got three different groups in the building doing um, regenerative medicine and advanced diagnostics and um, the imaging groups uh, that are in the, in the building from Mayo Clinic. You got Phillips Healthcare that's in there, Boston Scientific, I think I mentioned. Wuji Diagnostics, which is a, a joint venture between Mayo Clinic and Wuji Aptech. Uh, let's see, you've got Rion up on the fourth floor, which is a Mayo startup in the regenerative medicine space. Um, it's just great to see these, these organizations that are in the building. There's a little bit of space. It's about 90% leased out. A little bit of space left over, and there's multiple conversations around that, the, the remaining space, who's going to take the remaining space. But uh, 
uh, it's exciting to see um, and the momentum that that we've created I guess by filling that building is is carrying us into Discovery Square 2 which uh, hopefully we'll see ground being broken on that one right next door before the end of the year uh, it's uh, um, you know about two years ago I was talking with a group and I said imagine what this is going to look like in 20 years where you have all of these businesses and all these people that live down there and all these restaurants and all of this activity taking place that skyline looks dramatically different in the discovery square subdistrict than it did before you've got the maven which is apartments you've got the residents at discovery square which is our apartment units you've got the one discovery square building it's 90,000 square feet discovery square two will be bigger uh, I think it's going to be around 125 to 130,000 square feet. So that will change the skyline yet again, uh, down in an area that until a few years ago was dominated by surface parking lots, world-class surface parking lots, but <laughs> surface parking lots and the Conley Moss Downs building. <laughs> so a lot of growth. Yeah, it's it's been, it it does take that, decade-long perspective though sometimes oh, if yeah. you moved here three years ago you're like nothing ever changes and i remember saying that a decade ago and mm -hmm. it has been a tremendous change i think obviously for the for the good or for the better um now it's been it's it's been an interesting five years i think uh, dmc was just uh kind of hit the five-year mark is that correct Right. Um, yeah. So the first five years, 2015 through 2019, uh, we presented a draft of our five-year update to the 20-year plan at our board meeting last week. And uh, the final report will be submitted in November to our board. I mean, that basically is reporting on over the overall DMC initiative. Uh, what has happened in the first five years and how do we, what adjustments are we making? What's happening? What impact is COVID having? And what do we foresee happening over the next five and then 15 years, the remaining 15 years uh, of the initiative? Um, I think circling back to the, you know, the entrepreneurship, um, not only do we have to create these spaces for these businesses to be, and not only do we have to have the programming for these people, the entrepreneurs to plug into, um, which I know you've talked about that in other, you know, others of your podcasts. We also have to uh, influence city leaders and the community that this is important. Entrepreneurship is really important. It's an entree for people who are new to our country or new to our city. It's an entree into an economic ladder that's different than they otherwise might have. Um, but also this is where you create jobs. This is, this is where you diversify the economy. So entrepreneurship is, is critical to communities and they're starting to figure that out, as you mentioned. Yeah, I think for Collider, um, you know, we, we have this broad category, obviously being a 501c3 of education. And right. in my mind, that's always focused on education for entrepreneurs. Right. But in the last month, as we've done a little bit of strategic planning for next year, Mm -hmm. uh, that's really broadened. And it, so we've come up with sort of three buckets. And the first is obviously our commitment to entrepreneurs. Yep. The second is civic leaders. We, we really want to have sit down and have conversations with our community leaders to really show them why entrepreneurship yeah. is important. And then the third, and I think this is the real, it's tough, yet I think it needs to be done, is uh, current and potential investors. Mm, yeah, Because there is so much... Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of wealth. I, I feel sometimes sitting on the sidelines reg oh, yeah. regionally. 
and really trying to sit down and help educate why, you know, you should be thinking of supporting an entrepreneur, supporting a program that supports entrepreneurs. Yeah. um, Rather than say, you know, buying a piece of land in Southern Minnesota or, you know, why, why it's important to, to sort of spur that next generation of, of companies. So those are sort of the three areas that we're going to focus on within the next year. And definitely, uh, I think they're all pretty crucial to our ecosystem, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I love that approach. That makes, that makes a ton of sense. Um, I'm encouraged by what I hear from our leadership, our city leadership, our civic leadership at the, at the city and the County level. Um, I think they get it and they just need to figure out how they can, how they can do that, especially, and this has been really been highlighted, I think, because of the COVID impact that they're seeing the impact of the challenges that small businesses are facing. And those are entrepreneurs among us. I might suggest that there's actually a fourth category to, to, for us to consider as a community. And that is the community at large, right? Mm So um, when this has really, again, been highlighted by what's happening with COVID, you know, first there's the, the health impact and then there's the economic impact of the response to the health impact that's happening here. And um, I'm not going to do the math on the air here because I'll get it wrong. But if, if Rochester has 120,000 residents and that's every man, woman, and child in Rochester, if every one of those 120,000 spent $10 more per month at a local business, a local retailer, a local food producer, a local whatever, and did that every month, every man, woman, and child, $10 a month. It is a huge impact on our local economy, right? So if we had fewer brown trucks driving down our neighborhoods and dropping stuff off at the front door and forego the easy button on the big Amazon and instead support the local businesses, that's a responsibility of our community to support our local entrepreneurs huge impact, multi-million dollar impact just on our local community, just by shifting $10 a month. Yep, absolutely. And when you think of the Discovery Square District, I mean, a lot of of times these things would be planned with just, we're putting in a giant business park and it's all about office space, lab space, um, shop space, things Mm -hmm. like that, warehouse space. But this is like you said, a real live, work, play district. We, yes. There's a lot of other businesses that go right. into Discovery Square. And right. that's, that's what I love about the plan. It's not just, again, a, a boring tech park in the middle of Rochester. It's, it's a vibrant community where people want to, again, I'll keep saying it, live, work, and play. Yeah. And I think that you know, sometimes we, t- we tend to focus a lot on these high-tech, high-growth businesses because, mm-hmm. um, you know, let's be honest, that's, that's going to be a big chunk of, of and maybe even a bigger chunk of economic activity here in Rochester. Sure. But like you were saying, you know, there's room for all sorts of other businesses in our community that right. I, I would say is, are equally as vital and that have an opportunity to be in a, a district like, you know, Discovery right. Square or Heart of the City or something like that. Business is such a a fundamental underpinning of everything you're working on. And sometimes I don't think that gets acknowledged as much as it should, because we tend to think high growth, high tech, medical, but it really does take this, this business village of support at all levels. So. uh, Well, yeah, let's take a walk through discovery, the discovery square subdistrict, you know, to make your point. Right. So 
um, when we when we highlight what's happening in Discovery Square, it's not just the technology companies. Up on Fourth Street, you got that Thrive Childcare that until a couple of years ago that didn't exist, right? So there are people employed by a childcare provider to provide care for um, children, right? And there are people that are walking there with their kids, dropping them off and going to work. That didn't exist before. You've got um, you've got Twigs, the restaurant um, uh, there at the at Centerstone. You've got Pasquale's. You've got the yoga studio. You've got uh, Blue Duck Restaurant. You, uh, you've got Collider, obviously, and all of the small businesses that you support up there in the co-working space. Um, you've got um, People's Food Co-op just down the street. There's any number of small restaurants and I've probably missed a couple of them there, uh, but there's all manner of small businesses and locally owned businesses that are there. And we're really just getting started. Yep. Um, so in the last six months, obviously COVID has been a, a tremendous uh, barrier for people in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen any real bright spots uh, in your work with DMC over the last six months and would want to share that with us? Uh, boy, that's a good question. Um, you kind of have to scratch around a little bit to, to find bright spots among here, but um, I'm an optimist by nature, so I'll take a run at that. Um, one is, is it has highlighted, I think, or showcased for our community how important our local businesses are to us. And I've seen an outpouring of how can we help our local businesses and um, through the various grants and the changing of, of city ordinances about street street streeteries, I guess we're referring to them, you know, eating out on the street and, and supporting local business. So that would, that would be uh, one piece. I think another piece is that we've learned that um, as meetings go virtual, we can reach a broader audience with our message without requiring people travel to Rochester. So, um, we hosted the Assistive Tech Challenge. It was our, our second annual Assistive Tech Challenge. It was supposed to be in person in April. It ended up being a Zoom event in uh, June, early June. And we had people from uh, far, as far away as Canada and all across the United States that were dialing into this business pitch competition that we do for around assistive technologies. And I'm fairly certain that people up in Toronto, Canada, were not going to travel to Rochester for the assistive tech challenge in April, but they sat in on it and participated in June via Zoom. So uh, we were able to uh, reach a much broader audience and even an international audience than we otherwise wouldn't be able to do. And that's one of the things that's come out of this is our ability to reach and connect is, is been amplified uh, because we've been sort of stuck in place. Yeah, it's definitely a, a new world for sure. I think we yeah. wouldn't be doing things like this podcast uh, if we didn't think that right. you know, there is an audience out there and an opportunity to share a message. I know mm-hmm. having Frank Jaskulki on a few weeks ago, yep. he said it, it's such a, it's such, you know, he's used to getting on a plane and going wherever and, and right. meeting a lot of people at the airport. And, but now in this world, there's a, a curve, that adoption curve for things like Zoom and, and other uh, video communication has has really allowed people to dip in from all over. And I think right. probably the fact that a lot of them are at home, they're like, yeah, well, I could kill an hour. I, I'd mm-hmm. love to see this assistive tech thing. I've heard a lot about it. Right. I've never been to Rochester. And that's, it's a really right. cool 
kind of tool in the in in our arsenal that I yeah. think over the next uh, few years will just become you know a standard thing. Yeah, I think so. So when we think about um, let's fast forward, and this is this is a bit broad. Um, let, okay. If we fast forward fifteen years, and there's a big party because everybody's like, you know, we've we've hit year twenty of Destination Medical Center. Um, what's the what's the vision for what that would look like in year twenty? In Discovery Square. Um. Sure. Oh, all right. Year 20 of Discovery Square. Well, we're probably up to, we've got one Discovery Square and Discovery Square 2, you know, breaking ground. We're probably up to like Discovery Square 8. Ocho. Ocho Discovery Square. <laughs> <laughs> there's a cultural reference in there. We'll see if anybody gets it. Yep. Um, so there's there's literally dozens of startups that are launching every year. There's maybe even an IPO or two every year that's coming out of startups that started this year or last year or two years ago. Um, there's Discovery Walk has been completed. It's a six block parkway that runs right through the heart of uh, Discovery Square. So there's events, there's food vendors, there's music, and there's art along Discovery Walk. And people are walking through there every day and conversing and collaborating and colliding with each other. Um, there's people that are living down there. There are people that are attracted from the outer parts of the city into there because it's just a vibrant place to get good food and good conversation and to, and to see that um, some of the companies that are emerging out of there, that um, companies, the pitch, the pitch is a little bit easier because we don't have to convince companies to come here. They're attracted here because we have so many startups that are emerging uh, in digital health or connected care or regenerative medicine or advanced diagnostics, whatever it might be. Um, this, is, this has become the place to launch your business. This is the place to grow your business. Or if I'm working on the East Coast, this is the place where I'm going to work from here for my company that's out on the East Coast because the cost of living is, is a lot lower. The quality of life is a lot higher. It's just a great place to live and to work. Yep, that's, that's the vision. That's brilliant. And well, 15 years is a long time. We'll see where we both are at that point. We could be, uh, we could be uh, both retiring downtown. To, I will for to sure enjoy be the fruits of, of all the great labors that uh, we've put yeah. in. Uh, so. Oh, and all of that is going to be run by you. You know, that whole entrepreneurial no, ecosystem. You're running no, the whole thing I, by then. I'll, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll delegate that. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so as we move into sort of my favorite part, the closing questions. Uh, what is one thing that people may not know about you? And I've learned a lot from this question. Patrick Donahue is a ski instructor. Um, Amanda likes to bake a lot of stuff, you know, so uh, something that doesn't have to be crazy, but just something that maybe people who know or know of you just don't really know about you. Uh, kind of a boring guy. Um, my first paid job was as a, a carnival worker. I was a carny worker. My you were a carny? Wow. I was a carny. <laughs> yeah. Long time ago. Back when being a carny was respectable. <laughs> you might want to cut I, that I part. I don't really think that was. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I, I'm kind of boring. <laughs> I don't have a lot to offer there. Well, I like the Cardi piece. Um, yeah, sure. You can what did you that. do as a carny? I, I sold rides on a little choo-choo train that went around on this little track. Yeah. See that that was future economic development. It was, yeah, you know, we yeah, talked about I, downtown circulators and stuff like that. That I was that. pitching even then. Yeah, there you go. Cool. Um, so as as ecosystem builders, we have a fantastic opportunity to meet a lot of other people doing great work around mm-hmm. the state of Minnesota to support entrepreneurs. So, if you could highlight who's doing some great work right now to support entrepreneurs in the state but maybe isn't broadly known. And you can't say me and you can't say Collider. Um, you know, this is, gonna, it's, it's going, this is going to sound unusual because it's a state program, but I would say the work that Neela Mulgard is doing with LaunchMN um, is critical to the long-term health of um, the Minnesota economy. So this is number the first one I'll say. I'm going to I'm going to claim two, not one. So Neela Mulgard, Launch MN. And the only people that are paying attention, well, I shouldn't say it that way. The people who are paying the closest attention to Neela are the people that were already paying attention to entrepreneurship. And the message that uh, she's delivering and the systems and the platforms that she's developing and the coalitions that she's building um, still are not as well known to the rest of Minnesota as they are to those of us who are doing the ecosystem building. That would be one. And the second, you you mentioned him earlier and his organization, Medical Alley and Frank Jaskulki. Um, a new, uh, I would characterize them as a new player in the ecosystem building space for entrepreneurs, always supportive of startups in many different ways, but they're, they're turning a corner in how they're supporting entrepreneurs through their, their startup initiative that we're going to hear more about in the future. And, um, Medical Alley as an organization is sort of reflective of Minnesota as an as a state in terms of our standing in the country and our recognition in the country of the density of healthcare companies. Most people don't think of Minnesota as a hotbed of healthcare innovation, um, but we are. And um, Medical Alley is not as well known as they ought to be as an advocate for that healthcare ecosystem that exists in Minnesota. But their work that they're doing to support healthcare-related startups is going to be critically important over the next 15 to 20 years. I'm glad they're part of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And I always say that, you know, Frank was the first person to inspire me as to how you do the work of an ecosystem builder, right? Right. Just following really outright copying his example of when people reach out to you, you answer them back as fast as possible and try to get them to that right answer that will help them. Even when, you know, they're a high tech startup, not in the medical space, but they met him at a dinner and suddenly he's just trying to be helpful. And that's really, I always tell Frank, everything I learned, I stole from him by watching him for about a year and then Mm -hmm. said, I think I could, that's, those are some great techniques to help out entrepreneurs of all, yeah. all types. So uh, definitely, I think uh, Neela and Frank are, are two great people. Yeah. Unfortunately, you were supposed to give me two people that I could have as leads for the podcast, but I've already talked to both of them. So darn it. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> uh, I can give you some offline. All right. Sounds good. Um, so uh, just to close here, where can people find you? 
Where can they find me? Um, so if you go to the DMC website, dmc.mn, um, there's uh, uh, information about Discovery Square. You'll see a really bad picture of me and my contact information. I look like an insurance salesman. Um, nothing against insurance salesmen, uh, but I'm kind of dressed like that. Um, you can reach me through dmc.mn on, on the website. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for taking the time to share your story. And thanks for what you do for our region. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Well, special thanks to Chris for sharing his time and his insight and all the great work he's done with Discovery Square here in Rochester. Have a question or comment on the podcast? Please email us at hello at collider.mn and include Ecosystem North on the subject line. Please help us out by subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. Do you want to see the video version of this podcast? The easiest way to find it is to go to our online storytelling platform, Rochester Rising, at www.rochesterrising.org, and the newest episode should be right on that page. Ecosystem North is a production of Collider, a nonprofit based in Rochester, Minnesota. Collider supports our local entrepreneurs and small businesses with innovative events, education, space, and storytelling to help foster an inclusive, diverse, and healthy entrepreneurial ecosystem. Until next time, help an entrepreneur out.